Father God, um, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts just be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. As we come to the end of this year, and as I have some words to share, I pray most of all that the power of your word, the presence of your spirit, the movement of your truth would transform our lives continually. And that every week, every day, every changing year, we never get stuck in just another rut of the mundane repetitiousness of it all, but that we stop and be reminded of a few things about who you are and how you have lived in and through and among us. So may we pause in this space to take note of that as we move forward into a new year. Thank you for my friends, my brothers and sisters who have gathered into this place. Bless them, God. Um, Give them words that they need to hear, a message that they need to be moved by. Um, And may your kingdom truly be expanded as we just sung here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in your name. Amen. I'd like to share with you a message entitled, Take Note. Take Note. If you have one of these uh, half-sheet outlines, I will be referencing it, um, and hopefully there's enough for everybody. Uh, If not, I will do my best to try to have it available in the email. If you are visiting or new or checking us out and trying to figure out who, uh, who we are, there is an email list that you can sign up for at the website at sparkchurch.net. And we will send you a weekly email giving you all the dates and information about all the variety of things that are going on around Spark. The Wall Street Journal had an article recently in it, three apps to help you keep your New Year's resolution. Uh, Lyft, Workflow, Hours. Some of them were kind of cool. You know, Workflow takes all of your things that you do and crams them into one app. So instead of looking at mail and then closing that, looking at calendar and closing that, and then looking at, you know, Facebook and closing that, you just throw it all in one app and it does it all for you. Hours is this nice way of keeping track of your time. And uh, the whole article was designed around how do you best keep your New Year's resolutions? And it got me thinking, what are the top 10 New Year's resolutions that people make? And it's fascinating. We'll get to some of these statistics later. About 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. So um, maybe about half of this room has made resolutions. How many of you just out of curiosity actually do make New Year's resolutions? Can I see your hands? Okay, so that's about 40%. That's about the same as the average of the statistics that we see. Now, I have some chocolate up here because the reality is we're all kind of primal animals. And so what I want you to do is you're going to take 60 seconds, maybe 45 seconds, 45, 60 seconds, somewhere in there. And I want you to identify what you think are some of the top 10 New Year's resolutions, again, according to the University of Scranton Journal of Clinical Psychology, what do you think are the top 10 New Year's resolutions that people make every year? And this one's specifically for the year 2015. The person that has identified the most on this list, there's 10 of them, is going to receive a handful of chocolate. So that's your, that's your motivation, that's your incentive right there. 60 seconds go. All right. Top 10 New Year's resolutions that people make according to the University of Scranton Journal of Clinical Psychology. Here they are in order. Lose weight, getting organized, 
spend less, save more, enjoy life to the fullest, staying fit and healthy, learn something exciting, quit smoking, help others in their dreams, fall in love, spend more time with family. Okay, count them up and see how well you did. As you take a look at these lists over the years, they tend to have some similar themes. Lose weight, getting organized, spending less, quit smoking, learn something exciting, enjoy life to the fullest. Have, um, if you take a look at this list carefully, though, I'd like to make one observation that is going to be somewhat obvious, but perhaps not quite poignant enough in our minds. Save for perhaps two of them. New Year's resolutions, or the idea or the concept of New Year's resolutions, is very self-focused. You would all possibly agree with this, correct? So, save for number eight and number ten, help others in their dreams, spend more time with family. The vast majority of resolutions, and the vast majority of what you, as an individual, as a person, attempt to do with your life when there's anything that comes along, such as improvement, self-help, going to church even, is about self-improvement. Something that I need to do to myself, or I need to change about myself, or something that needs to be radically altered about me. And I'd like to ask the question, what does this actually say about us as a people? What does this say about us? And the question, in addition, how did we get here? New Year's resolutions, or the idea that we need self-improvement, hasn't been around forever. There's lots of different changes and shifts throughout history, and if you do anthropology, you figure out that, you know, different cultures throughout history were quite communal. If the if the other cultures of other different times and even places today had New Year's resolutions, they wouldn't be about staying fit and losing weight. They would be much more communal rather than individualistic. And so I'd like to ask a couple questions. Why did this happen? How is this happening? And is there something perhaps that we can take away that the scriptures talk about that would help us face the new year, face resolutions, face the idea of self-help in a different way, in a new thinking pattern? First, how did we get here? Well, there's a lot that can be said about this particular subject, but many people are talking about the narcissism of American culture. And this is something that I, as well as yourself, are deeply involved in. There's a lot of different reasons, a lot of different pushes why this has happened. Um, we have talked about, at this place before, technology and the developments of technology. For example, one of the things that have happened throughout the development of the television set is that in you know, when television first came about, there was how many TVs in your house? Only one. And how many shows were on? One. And at what time? Seven o'clock. And everybody gathered around together. And as the proliferation of technology began to expand, instead of people having shared communal activities around technology, technology began to split people and places and things apart and experiences apart so much so now that you can have thousands and thousands of channels on your TV. And guess what? You don't have a shared experience anymore with the community. You have what you want to experience through the technology. This is just one example of how technology, especially in very advanced societies, has created a little bit more of a narcissistic culture. Economics is a big piece of that. Capitalism and some of you have studied economics and uh, economic theory, and capitalism, uh, you know, has produced this amazing wealth. It also has produced amazing individualism, amazing selfishness as well. Uh, the idolization of youth, which is something that some people are talking about that is coupled with technology. By the way, all of these things are coupled together because 
prior to all of these technologies, the older generations above me had things that I needed. And with the dawning of technology and the dawning of advancement, now younger generations have what the older generations need. How many of you have to help your mom or your dad with their cell phone or help them with their VCR or help them with... Yes, you get what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. We have, we have some fathers say, amen, preach, brother. Because what has happened is a shift in generations, which is why we've talked about generations here, that generations are extremely important and we have to be very, very careful not to be chauvinistic about older generations or younger generations. But because of the idolization of youth, the developments of technology, etc. Consumerism, oh, of course, the idea that the only reason why we're selling you something is because we have to convince you of what you do not have and that you're miserable because you don't have it. And so, consumerism or the idea of marketing and advertising is the constant reminder of how you are sad and a constant reminder of how you're unhappy. There's a lot more to this. There's a ton of things. Politics, obviously. The Constitution, the idea of the pursuit of happiness is fed into this. Literacy is a technology. It's something that linguistic theorists have talked about, that in an oral culture, you have to share information communally. In a literary culture, I take my book and I go sit by myself and I read and I interpret only by my own way. So there's lots of different movements around this, and we have become much more selfish. So narcissism is something that has plagued what I would suggest to us is that it's plagued all of us. We are all victims of this. And it's not, I'm not necessarily making a judgment call yet, just trying to do my best to point out and help to illuminate a couple things. And the New Year's resolutions, when you look at that list, is a perfect example of how we've come to the end of the year and next year, guess what we're going to work on? Me. And I'm going to get better. And if I can focus here, these are the things that I want to do for me. And I would suggest to you that that is a very dangerous path to follow. I I don't want to poo-poo. Did I just say poo-poo? I don't want (laughs) to. I'll edit that out of the tape later. I I don't want to look down upon goal setting and achievements and getting the help that you need and all of those things. What I'm suggesting is that underlying all of this at the very base of our humanity is something that is growing and churning. And if we do not keep that in check, if we don't understand that there is a way to do life holding in the tension of individualism and communalism, which the Bible is going to talk about, then we're going to lose something. Um, Giambattista Vico, what a great name, has written in the New Science a description of how different civilizations rise and fall, which can be analogous to how individuals rise and fall. And this is what he writes on page 98. People first sense what is necessary, then consider what is useful. Next, attend to comfort. Later, delight in pleasures. Soon, grow dissolute in luxury and finally go mad squandering their estates. That as we continue down this path, which includes all of the things that I've mentioned, it is very, very possible that we're going to end up with all of this great stuff, all of this great wonderful advancement, improvement upon ourselves, and just simply go mad because we have found ourselves so focused here. And it's not something that I think we do intentionally, 
It's something that is just within us, around us, surrounding us all the time. All of those movements, all of those factors are all participating in moving our hearts and our souls towards focusing on me. I catch this all the time. Many of you know that I work at a school. I'm also a pastor of this church. And whenever I have conversations with teenagers, parents, uh, couples, and all those conversations, it's fascinating how often I hear the phrase, but I need, but I want. And the focus of the distraughtness or the dysfunction of the relationship or whatever circumstance you happen to be in is because you are not getting what you want or what you need or what you think you need. And oftentimes, some of the work that we have to do is to begin to lay some of that down and recognize that love demands a different response. Now that, just Doing that, saying that, attempting that, for me personally, is so excruciatingly hard. I don't want to give up what I want. And this is why we find ourselves in the place we're in. People have written about this, by the way, Price of Privilege, the Narcissistic Epidemic. Um, Barry Schwartz wrote this wonderful book, The Paradox of Choice, where he talks about how we have all of these things that we get to choose from, and it's driving us crazy because we have no idea what we want, the Paradox of Choice. Psychology Today has talked about this. I mean, there's all sorts of um, resources. You can read about this extensively. We all know that this is the milieu that we are all swimming in. This is the context. This is our culture. This is where we are. You like that, Mary? (laughs) So the question is, people are writing about this in books. You can go to the bookstore right now and and pick up a book on narcissism, on, on these epidemics, on the things that have caused us to focus inward. But there's another book that is actually out there that describes this quite poignantly, that has a way of putting it in a in an ancient context that has been with us this entire time. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. I have some students from TKA who have been texting me and asking me questions. I get this text from Josh. Ecclesiastes, life sucks and then you die. 12, 14, 14. Um, and that's my text. I'm like, Merry Christmas to you too. So, so apparently he's in a Bible class or whatever. And this is the summation, Ecclesiastes, life sucks and then you die. Let's take a look at the text, however. The very beginning chapter of Ecclesiastes does start out with the vanity of vanities. Everything is meaningless. Everything is worthless. Everything is fleeting. But in chapter 2, he goes on, and he writes this, and it's fairly lengthy. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I 
I heard an oh yeah back there, okay? I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, this word that we have here, hevel, is the word that's often translated meaningless. Hevel, H-E-V-E-L. Now, that word is translated in a lot of different ways. Senseless or senselessness, it's absurd, it's completely ridiculous. Vanity, futile, pointless, incapable of producing meaningful results. Uh, Some translators translate it ephemeral, lasting just a very short time, incomprehensible. The literal meaning of the word hevel is actually a mist. It is a mist. When the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about all of these things being meaningless, vanity of vanities, he's talking about a mist of a mist that is here, but then it goes away. This is the image of what the author of Ecclesiastes wants you to see, that there is something of substance here. This is very real. It helps with your sinuses and clears out your throat. And There is something very real here. But it just doesn't last. It doesn't hold on. So this is the great paradox and the great problem. There is something of substance in all of these things that this person has mentioned. But carry it out to its furthest extreme, and it just, whatever was of substance, whatever had that power, whatever felt meaningful, and out here, it's just, it doesn't mean anything. Hevel, meaningless, vanity, planting of vineyards, gardens, self-help, losing weight, quitting smoking, all of these things meaningless. I I like the idea that it lasts for a very short time and it doesn't sit because if you take a look at that survey, again, 80%, 40% of Americans make resolutions. Only 8% of that number actually keep any of those. Now, why am I talking about this? Ecclesiastes, again, life sucks and then you die. But what we just read in this passage of Ecclesiastes, if you noticed, it wasn't about how life sucked. It wasn't about how life was horrible. It wasn't about how life was unfair, although the author is going to get to that. That entire passage, most commentators are going to point out, was it's all about him. The phraseology in the Hebrew doesn't even come through in the English. It is, I built this, and then the English says, I I built this. The Hebrew says, I built this for myself. I sowed this for myself. I waged profit for myself. I got a harem for myself. The number of times, nine times in this particular passage, does the author of Ecclesiastes focus right here. So you can talk about a narcissistic epidemic that has existed in America. This has been going on, and this is deep within the roots of the human soul. And I love how we have a book in our scriptures that has spoken deeply to this. Many people get to Ecclesiastes and think, this is so depressing but they think it's depressing because the philosopher is just saying that everything doesn't matter. 
What Ecclesiastes is actually doing in this particular passage is saying why things don't last. Why? Nine times. I for me. I for me. I for me. The JPS commentary says this, this emphasis on myself exposes a sort of consumerism, an obsessive striving to fill an undefined but gnawing spiritual need by material goods. Let's take a look at this list again. What is it about us that is constantly striving for fulfillment, for betterment, and then what is it about that striving that leaves us right here? Here for a moment, and then gone. And then every year, next year, we'll be making those exact same resolutions. Why? Because they're here, and then it's gone. Rabbi Hillel says this, if I am not for myself, who will be? But if I am only for myself, what am I? What kind of person have I become? And the more and more you think about the dysfunctions and the challenges of your life, the things that you're going through, the things that you're struggling with, the vanity, like we had this thing and then it was gone. And then how much of this is because the focus, the attention was right here. So here's my exchange to Josh. This isn't a book about how life sucks and then you die. It's more like a book where what we have here is so temporary. It's like a mist. And it's going to go away quickly. Fundamentally then, what lasts and what is meaningful and the thing that is going to carry you into the future, the thing that sustains you in your life, is to fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14. The sum of the matter, when all is said and done, revere God and observe his commandments, for this applies to all mankind. Now the problem with passages like this is, because we're narcissistic, we might see this as, oh, I'm going to obey God and revere all his commandments so that I can get all of these things. I would like to suggest to you that at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, there's a focus on me, myself, me, myself, me, myself. And the turn at chapter 12, which is so poignant because he goes through all this stuff. It's just meaningless. It's vanity of vanities. And then he turns and says, but the sum of it is this. You want to really know what is the sum meaning, the meaning, the holistic conclusion that we're going to draw from after, from going through chapters and chapters of meaningless, meaningless, meaningless? Don't focus here. Turn. Look up, don't look in. Look out, don't look in. So what I'd like to suggest for today, something that we can do for the rest of this year, I can say that, <laughs> is we're going to take this question mark of who have we become, the focus upon self, and we're going to shift it. We're going to move it up, and we're going to move it out. This is not saying that self-care is unimportant. This is not saying that taking care of yourself is not what you should be doing. Of course, please don't split those two up and think that these are opposites. 
It is important to care for yourself. It is important to set goals. It is important to have a mindset that, that is strong and understands who you are. But in the midst of vanity of vanities, in the midst of life, the things that we want to see sustained that are meaningful and powerful and foundational for the life that we're going to live, that is going to be lived into this world with tremendous presence, needs to be lived with a different focus. So first, let's talk about God. How are we going to go up? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Uh, Deuteronomy 28. This phraseology, do not forget, remember, do not forget, remember, do not forget, shows up numerous times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Do not forget. You must remember. Hold on to those things of the past. What's fascinating about this is that remembering the past is tied not to just your duty to recall events. The remembering of the past is tied to your covenant relationship with the divine creator. It is a remembrance of saying, I remember who you are. Remember what God has done for me, for us, in us, through us. Don't forget that. Don't forget that you are in relationship with this divine creator. So it's not just that you have to remember events. It's that you're remembering causes you to continue the relationship. This book by Joshua Forer is really fascinating about memory, the history of memory, and uh, how he as a journalist went from no memory skills, at least average memory skills of just a, a regular journalist, to winning the national memory championships through techniques and skills and things like that. There's a chapter in this book where he talks about a man who has, as a result of some damage to his brain, no long-term memory. He's lost all memory. So the only moments he can live in are the present moments. Now you would think in some ways, <laughs> sweet, it's party time. The reality is, what he describes, is that that loss of memory has caused him to lose all sense of relationship with the people that he loves. This is what he writes. A meaningful relationship between two people cannot sustain itself only in the present tense. It is that memory, it is that understanding of what has happened throughout a long course of time that causes you to sustain a relationship. Oh, remember that time when we did this? Oh, I remember when you did this for me. Oh, remember that time when we experienced this? Yes, all of those memories added up are what sustains relationships. Relationships cannot be sustained only in the present tense. And so when the, when the author of Deuteronomy is telling us to not forget, to remember, keep recalling all of those things that God has done, it's not just about events. It's about remember this relationship, how I carried you through the desert as a father carries his son. Remember how you walked and your shoes did not wear out. Remember how I was there to love you and to lift you up. Remember all of those things. So don't ever forget. The difference between a remembrance to remember and resolution, which is what a New Year's thing is, is that a New Year's resolution is all about forgetting what has happened. 
Forget the fact that you were a failure at all of those things, and let's try to move on to the future. And what this injunction is, is to say, don't forget how God was there. Don't forget seeing him. Don't forget experiencing him. Don't forget that God was speaking to you during those times. Don't forget that in your darkest moments, don't forget that in those places, there was a God who held your heart, who wept with you, who carried you, who sustained you. Don't forget those things. Resolutions say, forget everything and let's move on to the future. And that forgetfulness, that leaving behind, will not sustain the long-term relationship. And so on your pieces of paper, we're going to take a few moments to actually do this. Not a long time, and I want to give you an opportunity to take this home and to maybe practice this on your own. So I'll share a couple thoughts and ideas from St. Ignatius and then give, leave it to you to figure out how do you want to do this. St. Ignatius has this amazing story, by the way. He was fighting in a castle against the French, uh, and he got caught between the legs with a cannonball, and so he couldn't fight anymore, so he just laid in a bed and began to contemplate God and could only read the Bible. So that's how he became a saint. So if anybody is looking for a way to become a saint, there you go. St. <clears throat> Ignatius has developed an examined prayer, which is a daily examined prayer. We would like to use this for the year. And just, again, quickly to go over this. Five very specific steps. Remember, this remembrance is the sustaining of your relationship with the living creator of the universe. Number one, you want to become aware of God's presence. Number two, you want to review the day with gratitude. Number three, you want to pay attention to your emotions. Number four, you want to choose a feature of the day and pray from it. And number five, you want to look forward to tomorrow. Three, uh, four of these five are about the past. Bringing it back to recollection to think about it. So, in your own way, if you'd like to write some of these down. Number one, become aware of God's presence. This is how St. Ignatius would encourage us to remember, to think back about this year, to focus upward and not inward. Look back on the events of the year in the company of the Holy Spirit. The year may seem confusing to you, a blur, a jumble, a muddle, but ask God to bring clarity and understanding. And then my question, where was God present this year? Maybe there was an event that was exciting news. Maybe there was an event that was tragic news. Maybe there was these moments from strangers or loved ones. And in those moments... God showed up. I did not give you enough space to write down all of these. Again, this is just for your notes to take home. But where was God present this year? Reflect, remember. Number two, review the year with gratitude. Gratitude is the foundation of our relationship with God. Walk through your year in the presence of God and note its joys and delights. Focus on the year's gifts. Look at the work you did, the people you interacted with. What did you receive? What did you give? And I love this. Pay attention to small things. The food you ate, the sights you saw, and other seemingly small pleasures. God is in those details. My question to you is, what were you most thankful for? 
What is something that happened in your life that you just go, oh God, I'm so thankful for this. Deeply thankful. And then I love this. Pay attention to your emotions. Reflect on the feelings you experience. Boredom, elation, resentment, compassion, anger, confidence. What is God saying through these feelings? And look deep. What did you feel deeply? And why? Now again, this is just a priming of the pump for you. Hopefully this is something you'll be able to take home and do a little bit more at home. I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts and my reflections through Spark. What are some things where God showed up? What are some things we're thankful for? What are some things that have moved us deeply? Well, we started this year, for those of you who participated, in a Bible study, a very lengthy one entitled Garden to Garden, which Danielle leads. And it's a way of seeing the Bible in a whole different way, a whole different context through story and narrative and, and, and grand scope. And I remember moments when we're talking about this amazing book that we all cherish and love and seeing people's eyes and minds and hearts all of a sudden turn from a a perception of God who is constantly on your back to this God who has been patient and loving throughout all of history. There's a moment where God shows up. There's this Beautiful movement in Spark where we went and saw the movie Call and Response, the concert to end slavery. Uh, and then afterwards we had uh, an event that was sponsored by BAATC as well as um, ATS, our partners. And as a result of your faithfulness, your movement, your passion, your care for this world, we hosted at that time, which was BAATC's largest anti-trafficking training event in the history of their organization, BAATC. TC, for those of you who don't know, is the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. It was fighting human trafficking in our area. And I just remember feeling so thankful that we get to be a part of a community that cares deeply about rescue in this world. In addition to caring deeply, we also care about good scholarship and learning. And so we packed out this room for Daniel Wallace, and we learned something new about our New Testament. And some of us, I remember having conversations where we walked away, and we said, wow, I had no idea that the New Testament had gone through so much, and yet we can rely on it so much as a result of the care and the concern of these scribes. What a beautiful expression. Uh, we continued on uh, with uh, the, the posting uh, of the posters uh, as a result of uh, SB 1193, which is a law that came upon the books for making sure that this information was available for people. And then you went and participated in the training. And I was like, once again, God showed up. How thankful we are to be a part of a community that cares deeply about these things. And then we also talk about care of interfaith dialogue and communication and conversation. And so we held a Passover Seder, and a ton of you showed up for that. What a beautiful expression of living out this Exodus story that we're going to get to in January. I remember being so thankful, and God showing up there, too, where we had Jews and Christians side by side with the same story, the same text, learning from each other, loving one another, worshiping together. Many of us went to uh, N.T. Wright down in Southern California to learn, again, because we care deeply about scholarship, I remember July 4th, we held a little party at our house, and a ton of you came out and ate a whole bunch of tacos. And, what a, and I remember thinking as I was looking around, like, what a beautiful church. People getting to know one another who've never known one another before. People trying to share community in, in a whole new way. 
And then twice we have gone to old school cafe. And I love the fact that our community is going to go to a not so great part of San Francisco to support a ministry that is attempting to do phenomenal youth rehabilitation work, giving them job skills, training, love. And you participated in that. Then we had our two-year anniversary. And then about 75 of us went to just get away and continue all of this work. So this was some of the examined work that we've done. We're getting ready to head into 2015. And part of this examined prayer for me, again, instead of focusing on me and focusing on what I need to do to better myself, looking up to God and saying, okay, God, what, what did you do in and through this community? What did you do in and through my heart? Where were you present? How were you speaking? That's the shift from a resolution to an examine. What needs attending to most through prayer? And you can choose any one of those past events and say, you know, from that particular point, we need to pray more in this direction. And then, looking forward to tomorrow, ask God to give you light for tomorrow's challenges. Pay attention to the feelings that surface as you survey what's coming up. Are you doubtful, cheerful, apprehensive, full of delighted anticipation? Follow these feelings. What do you anticipate most? Well, it's all of that that I bring together, which is why we're looking forward to congregational meeting and starting to think and dream and process together. Okay, as a result of you, God, showing up in these amazing ways, now we're looking forward. We're not just saying, well, what do I want? And now we look forward. We take a look at the grand scope of what God has been doing, where he showed up, how we've been thankful, how he has spoken, and then we move forward from there. So we turn the arrow from inside to up through the examined prayer. And then very quickly, we turn those arrows from inside to out in love. To out in love, from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. This great quote. Love is what redeems us. And I love this phrase, from the prison cell of the self and all the sickness to which the narcissistic self is prone, from empty pride to deep depression to a sense of nihilism and the abyss. <laughs> and I can imagine that 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions, 8% keep them, so we got about maybe 3.5% of the population's actually doing this. I can imagine having great goals and great visions and betterment of self, and then you get to February, <laughs> and it's not happening the way you want. And then we fall into these things, empty pride, deep depression, sense of nihilism, the abyss, like, oh, yep, this is just who I am. And if we can take those arrows instead of focus them here and focus them outward towards love and to say, how can I lay down my life for those around me? And instead of making resolutions about myself, maybe making resolutions about the people around me, well, maybe that could save and redeem us from what Jonathan Sachs calls the prison cell of the self. Soren Kierkegaard said this, the door to happiness opens outward. So, new New Year's resolutions. This is also on the back of your piece of paper, and you can take this home. Here are a couple thoughts and ideas to begin prime your pump. Love others more deeply. Make that your resolution. Humble yourself more authentically. 
give more generously, rescue more passionately. If you've been involved in anti-human trafficking, be involved even more passionately. Reconcile more thoroughly. Those relationships that have been broken, those difficult conversations that you don't want to have, and it's causing hurt and pain, become more thorough in that. Play more openly. It's just a couple of thoughts. So the message is entitled, Take Note. I'll see if I can sum up for us. Take note of the things that God has done, turning that arrow from inside to up. That's the examine prayer. Instead of a resolution which says, forget what is behind and move forward to what is ahead, the examine prayer says, no, I must remember fully and completely what has come in order to move forward. And that's by looking up and saying, where have you been, God? And then second, move outward. Instead of making resolutions about yourself, make resolutions about others. And let love free you from the prison cell of self. Take note of all of those things. And here's the great twist. As you take note of those things, others will begin to take note of you. They will start to see, wait a second, there's something different about how you are acting, responding, and living into this world. And that is where the great movement and spreading of this gospel message comes. And if you are a Christian, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, and when those people notice and take note of you, they are noticing the Christ in you. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So take note. Let's take note of love. Lord, thank you for this time and all of these people. It is so easy for us to focus once again on us. But as the author of Ecclesiastes has showed us, focusing on us is just a mist. Such a short, futile, ephemeral thing. So help us to look up and look out this year for the rest of our lives. I pray in your name.